is the story of a ragtag bunch of church members who set out to perform a Christmas play, and the director who tried his hardest to just keep it all together. The Glory of Christmas. There's a little bit of controversy over my choice to cast Tony as the wise man in our church nativity play, because, well, Tony can sometimes be... Yep, that's... That's some good birch. Birch? Why would they use birch? It's not even indigenous to Israel. Did Tony's just a little bit of a know-it-all. Hmm. Did Acacia not even cross your mind? That's probably Birch. Potato salad is of German origin, brought over here by European settlers. You know, fascinating point. The carb load on that is 37 grams. Great for uh, marathon runners. There's no doubt that Tony knows a lot of useless facts. But when he doesn't know something? Now, of all the wise man's gifts, myrrh was the most profound. He's used to prepare a body for burial. What does real myrrh smell like? Uh, I imagine it has like a lush floral scent. Nah, it's woodsy. Warm, aromatic, musky. Oh, uh, my mom leads the essential oils small group. Hmm. But there's a certain something about Tony. Something that he doesn't even see about himself. Put your shoulder into it so it doesn't strip the head. Hey, well done. That's good. Good job. Tony has the kind of heart that understands where the real treasures are. what they are, who they are. Andy understands the King of Kings came first as the lowly servant. This baby, this beautiful gift, this the glory of God, the glory of Christmas who would eventually sacrifice himself for us. For me, well, let's just say, with that kind of knowledge, you can never approach the manger quite the same way again. That's why he's the wise man. Welcome to week four of our series, The Weight of Christmas. If you've been with us each week so far in this series, you'll have heard us explain that when people talk about the glory of Christmas, the ancient Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and it's actually based on the root word weight. It's something, if something or someone has glory, then they have significance. Their, their influence on the world is, is weighty, substantive. So we named the series The Weight of Christmas to emphasize the weighty significance of this story. And also just to make us think a little bit differently again about Christmas this year. 
Now, when Rebecca and I were dividing up these sermons, I think she made sure that I was the one who would preach this week. Because one of the things I struggle with in my life is humility. I'm physically pretty large and strong. Uh, I've had a relatively privileged upbringing and I have many opportunities for education in my life. And I've therefore been able to accumulate a fair amount of knowledge, a lot of which my wife says is useless knowledge, but there you go. But this gives me all the ingredients that could make me someone like that wise man in our video. In fact, all these things together could, could have made me an overbearing, arrogant jerk. And sometimes I have to admit that I have been that, although... I've tried very hard not to be. So you see, this week, where we consider the significance of the wise men of the Christmas story, it falls to me to discuss the ways in which they displayed humility in an extraordinary way. The most significant and striking thing about the wise men in the Christmas story is their willingness and the lengths they go to to bow before Jesus. Relatively little is known about these wise men. Sometimes they're called magi or or rulers from the East. We, we do know that they were wealthy. They had privileged upbringings. They had plenty of education. They had significant roles in the courts of the Parthian Empire or the neighboring states to the east of Israel. We know that they were aware of the Jewish prophecies of a coming Messiah and that they had access to gold, frankincense and myrrh. We also know that they kept a close eye on the patch of sky that they believed told them the future of Israel, the constellation of stars known as the House of David. One night, they saw a new star appear in this constellation, and it's such a monumental event that they dropped everything and set off on a grand quest to find and to pay respects to the child-born king of kings in Israel. Clearly, they hadn't done a huge amount of research because, well, they, they first went to Herod's palace in Jerusalem and there was no baby there. I mean, it makes sense. You'd expect the baby king of kings to have been born in the palace, but he wasn't. Now, obviously, Herod knew of the prophecy of a king of kings, but it was of great interest to him that a new star had been spotted. Well, Herod does some research for them and discovers that according to the prophecies, the king of kings, the Messiah, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. So he sends the wise men off to Bethlehem to find out. First of all, to find out if it's true. And second, to find out which of the babies in Bethlehem was the right one. Wise men, after all that travel, after all that research, after all the dead ends, eventually find that one child who was born in the town on the same night that the star appeared in the sky. In a very short time, they were convinced, and in humility, they bowed and offered their incredible gifts. Then the wise men, having completed their quest, went home, avoiding King Herod. Earlier this year, I had the incredible privilege of traveling in Europe with my little sister, Belinda. We traveled around Italy and France for a couple of weeks before returning to London, where she lives and where I was to attend the Salvation Army's International College for Officers. But one of the the special serendipitous moments of our trip was when we were in Florence. So in Florence, every year on the 12th day of Christmas, January 6th, they hold a procession of the wise men, sometimes called the Cavalcade of the Magi. And we just so happened to be in Florence on January the 6th to witness this incredible procession. We had no idea. Over 500 people from all over Tuscany take part. Medieval ladies and lords, knights, hunters, farmers, soldiers, religious leaders and more. They have drummers and these incredible flag-waving companies. And all of these people parade behind three wise men. They reenact 
the entry into Bethlehem in search of Jesus. Actually, they reenact a medieval reenactment of the search of the Magi into Bethlehem. They proceed through the city, into the square, and outside the cathedral, where there's a life-size nativity scene set up. The three wise men kneel and offer their gifts. I wonder what it was like being the wise man at the beginning of that procession. I wonder how you got to be that wise man at the beginning. I wonder if it was something anyone could apply for or how it was decided that you could be one of the wise men. I mean, it must have felt incredible. Hundreds of people lined up behind you and tens of thousands of people lining the streets ahead of you, cheering as you prepare to walk past. I think in sometimes, in some ways, we can get a bit carried away thinking we somehow won at life, that we are the head of the parade, that we are the reason everyone has gathered, that everything wouldn't happen if we weren't here. Success, praise and blessing tempts us into living as if the story of life revolves around us as the main character. We can start to think we deserve to be served. We can get frustrated when things don't go our way. We can get impatient and think we are entitled to better service or more focus on our needs, whatever the situation or scenario might be. So the first thing I learned from the wise men is that blessing makes it harder to be humble. Praise makes it harder to be humble. Well, the wise men set off in the procession, followed by hundreds, cheered by thousands, and an hour or two later, It was a very long time. After all that cheering, after all the excitement, once again, the wise men found themselves at the nativity. Once again, they come face to face with a child. Probably a different child each year, I would guess. And they offer their incredible gifts. I wonder if they thought about it on a deeper level. I'm sure they were pleased that they'd completed the yearly procession and they got all the clothes right, they'd made all the right moves, they didn't get lost and whatever. But I wonder if they thought about what it all meant. So the thing I liked about the experience in Florence is that it seems at first glance like it's all about the wise men. It's called the Cavalcade of the Magi, after all. We spend hours cheering the wise men at the front of the parade, and then the wise men take all that honor, all that significance, all that praise, all that weight, and they give it to Jesus. It's about Jesus being honored, recognized, and worshipped. Cool thing about Christmas is that we're given this this annual opportunity to reframe what and who truly is central to the story of life. Jesus was born as the savior of the world. God chose to be born as a fully human child and to live here with us. Yeah, the wise men likely had all kinds of head knowledge and esteemed recognition for their comprehension on a variety of subjects in their day. Our wise man named Tony in the video was known to have all kinds of useless bits of information as well, something to which I can relate. However, at the end of the day, at the end of the parade, Tony, just like the actual wise men from Scripture, knew that his place in the story was one where serving Jesus rather than being served was more in line with the true weight and glory of Christmas. See, Christmas helps us stop and remember to have the same approach and attitude in our lives, as Jesus did in his life. The Apostle Paul would later explain this for us, and he would write about this in his letter to the Philippians. He says this, Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. 
Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think of himself so much that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. He took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honoured him far above and beyond anyone or anything. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honour of God the Father. As we make our way through this Christmas season, may we look for opportunities to humble ourselves and move off center stage onto the side or background while helping others get closer to see the one at the center of the story. May we serve Jesus by serving others. May we find ourselves on our knees and offering gifts rather than desiring others to bow their lives, desires and time to serve us. And consequently, may we enjoy the weight of Christmas as we find ourselves on the side and not in the center. May we find ourselves on bended knee before the King as we offer our gifts of worship and our lives of service to him. May we be people who consistently seek Jesus and do our best to point others to him as we serve and share what we do know, that Jesus is the center of the story. Let's lift that out for his glory as we tell his story this Christmas.